Today's scripture comes from the book of First Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and 13 to 16. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being so reminded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This is the word of the Lord. We're in part four of our series, Most Deeply Human. And and I don't know if some of this stuff is going to sound kind of similar to you. And some of that is on purpose because in each week, what I'm trying to do is, I don't know if you pick this up, there's a lot of complexity in these first few sermons. And these passages out of 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 Peter chapter 1, this is chock full of, of deep and important truths. And um, I thought this is a really good place to dive into this subject matter that is so kind of difficult and fraught um, in, in our contemporary modern world, and that is, what does it mean to be human? And that leads into the question of, who am I? And we have this big word, identity, and as you've been, if you've been listening, we're, 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 we're trying to unpack this. Now, there's a lot going on in identity. Some of you may think, this is a really simple idea. I mean, who am I? I know who I am. And, there, and what I really want to say is, do you really know who you are? That's the first thing I want to say. Do you? Do you, you think you know who you are, but maybe the question is more difficult than you think. And I'm pretty sure it's more difficult than you think. And I'd like to kind of prove that to you in today's message. And so let's get into it. Um, today's message is called The Foundation and Direction of Identity. The foundation and direction of identity. Part one, fulfillment and the problem of identity formation. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, formation. Fulfillment, no, no, okay, I said that wrong. Fulfillment and the problem of identity foundation, all right? Fulfillment and the problem of identity foundation, because that question of foundation is going to lead to lots of other things, okay? Part two, an unshakable foundation 
and a glorious direction from God. An unshakable foundation and a glorious direction from God. And then I'll close with part three, the drama of the good in you. There's a drama going on inside of you. And there's all, there's all manner of good in you, but there's a drama of whether that will play out and end well. Okay? So I want to close with the drama of the good in you. So let's get to part one. Um, who are you? And that leads, it's almost the same question of what is your identity? Who are you? Um, a lot of people, you know, you go, you meet somebody, who are you? And, uh, or they'll ask something like, what's your name? And in America, they don't usually ask you, who are you? They usually, in America, what we do is we ask, what do you do? You know, that's kind of usually what, that's the question. And um, I don't know if you realize this, the reason we ask that question is because we often think about identity in that way. That's the way we think about it. In, in other cultures, in times and places, they would ask you, who are you? And you might say something like, um, I'm Simon, the son of Jonah. That, that's what you might say. <laughs> I'm Simon, the son of Jonah. That's like one of the famous apostles that, that's, that's actually, you know, Simon bar Jonah. That's literally what it means. And so what you're, when you say who you are, you're saying your name, you're saying your family, and then you're saying your family belonging and now you're saying your identity, okay? Now I want to just, just, just give, let's just give you just two really basic differences in kind of how we tend to do it and how so many other cultures, and by the way, the thing I'm just saying, I said Simon Barjona, and that's something out of the Bible, but that would be the common thing in a lot of places in the world today. All right? It isn't just, you know, like that was uh, thousands of years ago, that's common today. But um, I want to give you another word I want to give you another word that we care about, which is related to this question of who are you, the question of your very self and identity. That word is fulfillment. Everybody, in terms of like, who am I, my identity, you know what you're doing? Your identity is not just some simple fixed thing. I'm this. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Maybe that, you know, if you think in terms of, uh, of jobs, or like saying, I'm an electrical engineer, all right? Or, 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 you know, I'm a, I, I'm a business owner or something like that, right? Whatever it is that you may think. But what, what, what that is, is it's looking for something, some kind of movement, a direction. And when it completes, we have this word fulfillment. So let me just try to uh, break this down. In an identity, here, I, I would like to try to say it this way. Your identity actually is more than just the who you are, what you are. Inside of this concept of the who am I identity is a direction. You're, that as soon as you say this, this is you know, who I am, what I am, you're, you're going to seek a direction. That direction wants to get to a destination. That destination, um, the, the word we use is fulfillment. So let me just say, say those three pieces again. Identity involves foundation, the what. There's got to be some foundation of who you are and what you are. That's a foundational, the foundation question of, of, of identity. That leads to a direction. 
And the direction leads to fulfillment. Now, let me just say a little something about fulfillment before I move on. Um, have you ever thought about that word? So, fulfillment. The fullness, you're filled with fullness, mint. <laughs> Ness, N-E-S-S, -S -S -S, it's like the, the noun version. The filled with fullness, mint. How about that? Or full of, full of fullness, mint, or filled with fullness, mint. Filled with fullness, mint, how about that? And soon as you think this way, who am I? When you think about who you are, one of the things I want to say to you is you probably feel that it is incomplete. It's incomplete, and in a sense, there's something not full about it. It's not filled. And you not only want it to get filled, so like, you know, if this is your cup, if this is your identity, you, you know, do you want it to get up to like, okay, that's pretty good. You know, it's filled up to about half. Okay? No, you want it filled, and then it flows over. Whatever that is, you want it to flow over. And the Bible has a word for that. That's shalom. That's shalom. The modern word is fulfillment. The Bible's word is everything that it is, it overflows with flourishing. It's, that's what we go. So let's, let me just say it again. What is the foundation of who you are? It seeks a direction. And whether you know it or not, you're looking for shalom in it. Shalom in it. Okay? Now, let me just, um, I'm, I'm, I, I get time to antsy sometimes when I listen to a, a passage and the, the pastor doesn't get right into the Bible. But just be patient, okay? <laughs> All right? If you're, want, if you're like me, just be patient, okay? Um, I want to um, say a couple other things about this, uh, this, this issue. Um, have you ever just observed, I've already kind of made this thing that if you're being human, you're already not animal. Hmm. You know what? That, that, that there's a, the world, there's only, only three options. You can try to be a human being like an animal. You can try to be a human being like, well, like the devil, which I don't think most people want. But strangely enough, it gets, it's common. And then the one that we're talking about in churches, you should be a human being like God, hmm. which today is not very popular. It's not very, people don't find it very interesting. But I just want to make, for, I want to make this point for those of you who don't believe in God and you see the world in the secular way. And secular means, I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if there's a heaven or hell. Eternity, I don't know if it matters to me, okay? I'm just interested in this life now. That's secular, okay? And if you look at things in the secular you basically are treating yourself like an animal. The human being is just a kind of particular kind of animal. But I want to point something else to you. What animal cares about identity? Let me just ask you that question. What animal cares about identity, direction, <laughs> fulfillment? Um, if you studied science, uh, you know, I, I studied a lot of science. I was pre-med. And... Um, Oftentimes, in our biological studies, the primary uh, preoccupation that our science folks tend to think about when they look at the biology of animals is survival. The animal wants survival and reproduction. So it's not just survival, the reproduction of the species. But you notice they never say, hey, monkeys are really interested in identity 
direction of fulfillment. Um, just, just an example. Let me ask you this. What if you were offered to live inside of a cage? Let's say it's a really big cage. Let's say it's a really nice cage. Let's say the temperature in the cage is perfect. Let's say there's never a lack of food. And let's say there are no predators. And nobody will ever be mean to you inside the cage. Okay? And, and um, the environment will be really, really nice. And the owner of the cage will treat you with kindness and every now and then even let you out to exercise. Because you're like, wait, the cage seems kind of small. So can I be let out? Let me ask you, what human being would be okay with that? Would you be okay with that? My guess is you, you wouldn't. And this is interesting too. If you knew somebody else who would accept that deal, you know what your reaction probably would be? You're like, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And yet, um, I, I was think, as I was thinking about the sermon, you know, my daughter, she, she got this hamster. This thing that I just described to you was the life of our hamster. And I used to think, I used to look at this hamster and think, man, you have it really, really good. And yet this hamster would bite Elizabeth. <laughs> would bite Elizabeth. And for a hamster, for a hamster, this hamster had a really good life. And even the hamster didn't quite like it. But the hamster wasn't preoccupied with other things like identity and direction fulfillment. Right? Now let me just unpack a few other things. What is at the foundation of your identity? Hmm? Not just who you are, what's the foundation of it? What's the, like, the most important bottom reality of what makes you you, you, you? What is it? Okay, and let's just roll through a few, few possibilities. And these are the common possibilities in our time, okay? That in the secular imagination, we're saying, let's try to build our identity on this. So the first one uh, I'll start with is maybe it's your ethnicity, your culture, or your race. So your ethnicity, culture, race. Who are you? You might say, well, I'm, I'm Chinese, okay? Well, is that, is that a big enough, is that a serious enough foundation to build your very self on, to make that the core of who you are, is it? So let me just um, tell you a little story. When I was 16 years old, so I was born in Korea. We immigrated to the U.S. when I was five years old, and I, I never saw the, the mother country until I was 16. It was really exciting. So I go back to Korea when I'm 16, spend the whole summer there, and find out that what was my so-called mother country felt very often foreign to me. And even though some of it felt home to me, some of it felt alien to me. And some of the people there treated me like I belonged, and some of the people did not treat me like I belonged. It was really interesting. And then... I start my junior year in high school, and then um, among my friends, we heard about this insult that I had never heard of before, <laughs> okay? And the insult was this, you're a banana. 
You ever heard this thing? You're a banana. Later on, there was an even better word. You're a Twinkie. I was like, oh, Twinkie, that's even better than banana. Or at least more. <clears throat> and you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That means you are yellow on the outside, but you're white on the inside. And so one of my friends called the other friend a banana, and man, that guy got really mad. <laughs> but it raised all kinds of crazy questions. I just spent this whole summer, and before I went to Korea, I always thought I was Korean. Because I walked into class, and that class would be like 90% white, 10% black, and then like the Korean kid, which is me. So in, in this class, I'm always the Korean. But I actually go to Korea, and it was interesting. It was a kind of a, a unnerving, a beautiful and unnerving experience. And here I am in 11th grade, and am I a Korean? Or am I American? And if I'm American, which I am, but does that mean I'm supposed to be white? And if I'm more white, doesn't that mean I'm less Korean? And if I'm less Korean, is that bad? Really interesting question. Really interesting question. Um, let me ask a second one. How about maybe it's, your base, it's built on your sex? I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm heterosexual, or I'm homosexual. So it's built on sexual desire. But actually, like, in the last few years, it's even pushed even wilder and stranger than that. It's today you could choose whether, what, what gender you are, and there are, like, words I never heard of before. <laughs> there are words I never even heard. They're, they're invented words. And I never knew there was a pronoun like this, should that be your identity? Should that be your identity? Should that be the, that's it. This is the foundational, the, the, this is the most important piece of who you are. How about a third one? Um, is it the thing I was saying, the, 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 the very common American way? Maybe it's your talents, what you're good at. And then hopefully what you're good at will lead to some kind of a job or a career, and then that's your identity. That's your identity. Maybe that's your identity. And so um, let's, just, let's just stop for a moment. Oh, okay, actually, one more. Maybe it's, your, it's certain human relationships. So I, I kind of started this and said, the American way tends to be, what do you do? But other countries say, who are you related to? Who are you related to? But you know, this is, it's even more interesting. In America, you can make relationship the foundation of your identity, but it might not be who you're related to. It'll be based on, like, who are you in love with? How about that? Or who loves you? And we're not talking about your mom and your dad. It's, it's like your lover. So now, all of those are out there. I, I just drew. Your ethnicity, your sex, your talents or your career, or your relationships or relationship, maybe even one relationship. What is it that's at the foundation of your identity? And some of you are saying, well, I have all of those things. Right, but, but what's, what's, what's the biggest one? And let me tell you something, there's always a biggest one. And even if you've never decided in your mind, I know which one's the biggest one, 
in your life, there's one that is the biggest one. You know why? It's the one that always wins. <laughs> when these, these kind of like uh, bump up against each other, so here's how it works. The person who really wants to be a really, really good husband, when work conflicts with their marriage, they say, you know what? I guess I'm just not going to make as much money. Or you know what? Maybe my career isn't going to be as important. Or you know what? Even though my career needs to take off here in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley is eating up my marriage. Let's move. See, that, that, that's how you know. But of course, you guys know the, the common way is the other way. It's the other way. It's like my talents, my, my career thing is the big one. And then that it usually just, it, you know, like that's, that's how like boyfriend-girlfriend relationships end. That's how even friendships end. That's how, like, family gets ignored, all kinds of stuff. Now, let me just stop here. Now, I want to ask one more question um, before I move to part two. Of all of these possible choices as to the foundation of your identity, are you wise enough and strong enough to choose one and follow through on that, with that direction? Hmm? So, first of all, you're wise enough, you're smart enough, you're wise enough, you know which one it should be. So you're like, gosh, I really care about career, and I really care about my family. Do you know which ones should be more important? Do you? Uh, in certain other countries, everybody, everybody just knows your family should be more important than your career. They just know. And if you do something that's more toward your career than your family, then your family will they'll let you know. And everybody else around you will let you know. But in America, it's kind of like we kind of tend to think it's, it's your career. But really, which one actually is it? So that's one, the choice. And then two, are you strong enough? Are you strong enough? You have enough fortitude and power and strength that if you choose this you can carry through and when when the world tells you you're wrong or when you fail or when you fall down or all of something of the above you can get back and do it can you keep doing it and so i'm just going to leave you with that question okay and um and and what i want you to do is Realize this is not easy, is it? Wow, it is not easy. And think of how many different ways that it isn't just that your life will, won't work out. It's yourself that's at stake. You are at stake. Everything I just said here is you're going to make some choices. Something's going to be the foundation whether you have chosen one or not. And then when you go out in life, it, this could all break and fail and like it gets all confusing. And you are at stake. So this identity and then the problem foundation of it, it's a really big question. And it's a hard one. Okay? Let's go to part two. All right, let's get to the Bible. Okay? <laughs> All right, let's finally get to the Bible. Because that's, that's what I really should be doing, teaching you the Bible. Okay? Let's go to verse three. And I, and I want to read this one more time. And you've heard this many times, but... I'm just going to keep beating this into your heads until you really, really, like, have this. Because it's so important. 
Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let me just use this whole thing that I just said. What's your foundation? What's the direction? And will it end up in the good, happy ending of Shalom? In this passage, it's giving you all of it. It's giving you all of it. What's the foundation? You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. What is it like? It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And I've given you this, um, that that's a short term for saying it's holy. And so in the, in the modern 21st century, we tend to not be interested in that word holy, but by, by now message number four of this series, I hope you're starting to get really interested. Because I'm trying to let you know that holy is so unshakable and so unchanging and yet so beautiful, it's worth being the very foundation of your life. This thing. But yet, who you are, we know you're, you're an incomplete. You're incomplete. And it's saying you're going to be, this thing is being kept in you. Your identity, it's somehow growing, growing, and it's being kept in heaven for you by God's power through faith. There it is. And I ask you this question. Are you have enough power to power through your identity? But this is the really wild thing about what the Bible teaches. It doesn't have to be about your power. In fact, the Bible says you, your power. So let me ask, answer that question from part one. Do you have enough power to go through your identity? And let me if I'm gonna, if I'm a betting, I'm not a betting man, but if I'm a betting man, so let's just say, hey, you know, Joe, Joe Cho, let's put, let's let's all put a bet on his life. <laughs> so like, if we could, have, if we had like a Vegas chart, and we put a bet on his life, and Joe said, I'm a, I'm gonna be a, a businessman, right? Because that, you know, that's what he is. And let's say he makes that the foundation of his identity, and then now his life is, you know, it's like a bet. So, and we're going to bet on the, his power to get to Shalom, okay? Let me tell you, Joe, I, would, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on you. <laughs> and you shouldn't bet on yourself. But whatever it is that you're doing, you're betting. You're betting. You're betting more than money. You're betting your life. You're choosing your identity. That identity is set, setting you on a course for a certain direction. And the question of whether it's going to have the happy ending of fulfillment or not, you're betting. You're betting everything. And, and you're betting it on your power. It's not a good bet. And when you wander around your life, let me show you something. You, you hang out with your friends and... Um, you know, they thought, like, you know, you, you don't, they didn't actually say this. You have one friend, and 
their bet is, I'm going to find the love of my life. The other friend is, my career is going to be everything. So you're hanging out. The three of you are hanging out. You're having drinks. The, 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 the career is the foundation. The love of my life is the foundation. When the love of his life is going great, this guy is going to feel awesome. <laughs> my girlfriend and I are doing awesome. Okay, about a month later, they're doing terrible. Then he's getting drunk. <laughs> Your other friend, his career is going awesome. Okay, he's so in such a good mood, right? Two, two, two months later, his career is in big trouble. He's getting drunk. This is what it's like. And so everyone along the line, you're around everybody. They're making a bet. And when the bet goes up, we feel great. When the bet goes down, it's like, just, just like all gamblers, <laughs> we feel horrible. <laughs> let me, um, let me, let's go on to verse 13. Verse 13 tells you um, the direction. And I'm going to say something now about, you know, like what we're trying to do. I'm going to, let me read this passage, and then I'm going to say something about what I'm trying to do in this, in this series, okay? So verse 13. All this beautiful stuff that you get through Jesus, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. You're not just sitting around just going like, I'm just going to think about it. You're, you're, light, you're going to move, and you're going to make a, uh, you're going to like put your life into application and action. There's a direction. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. This is the direction. Put your hope fully on the hope that your business is going to totally take off. And then, you know, in about 10 years from now, you're going to own 10 other franchises and you'll be worth $10 million and people will say you're awesome. Is that what the Bible says? Set your hope that you'll find the love of your life and you'll go on great vacations, you'll have incredible sex, and you will never fight, and you will never get divorced, and everybody will think you're the greatest couple of all time. Is that what it says? But here's the direction. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You did not know that this could be, an, this could be your, the center of your identity. You did not know that this was offered to you through Jesus. So since you didn't know, what you had was passions. And in the Bible, passions is always a bad word. It's a desire that's like really strong. And it's totally out of whack. And it is out of, out of, out of, uh, out of proportion and out of priority. So here's one of the most profound desire, um, um, most profound passions that's, that we're conforming our life to. Whatever it is that's at the foundation of your identity, it's what the Bible says it's a bad passion. And it's a bad bet. But, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, let me say this, and then I'll t teach you a little something from that la uh, next passage, and then let's get to part three, okay? 
Um, you know, this is a strange thing. I, when I started this series, I'm going like, gosh, I don't, am I a good enough pastor or preacher to do this? I'm going to try to get our church and congregation to want holiness. That's, that's what I want you to do. You know, every single, the, your life, if you want to get off the bad bet of your identity built on your own power and wisdom, you have to want something more. You have to take that bad passion, disordered desire, my identity is going to be built on this, this other thing. You have to take that and you have to displace it with a bigger desire. A bigger desire, a more beautiful desire, a more compelling desire. And what I want you to do, and this is what the Bible is calling you, not just I want it, is that you would pursue an identity that is holy. An identity from God that is unshakable. An identity that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Let me put it a little bit differently. A you that is holy. A self that is holy. So let's change the bet. There's a guy named Joe Cho. His, his identity is built on being a great businessman. And we're going to put money on it, right? And I would say if it's built on his wisdom and power, that's a bad bet. But if he said, I want to be the Joe from God. In all the complexity of who he is, his ethnicity, his job, his talents, his most important relationships, all those things, and say, I want them, put them into that which is in Christ, so that all those things, all of it, see, like the whole totality of Joe is all those things. See, like your you, your identity, is not like one simple thing. All those things can be made imperishable, undefiled, unfading, holy. Can I put the whole totality of me from Christ in Christ and make it holy? And then when it's holy, when Jesus returns, it'll fulfill with shalom. And if Jocho wants to make that bet in Christ, I think that's a pretty good bet. It's a pretty great bet. But, but it isn't, it isn't simple, and it will require your effort, <laughs> okay? So let me just go to one, one last passage before we go to part three, okay? So let's just, let me read through it, and you'll get a feel for the effort, and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, there's effort. Yeah, okay? So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power is granted to us all things, that pertain to life and God. Just, there we go. It's all there. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence. How do you get it? By knowing Jesus. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may became partake, become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of your sinful desires, because of your passions. So let's say, this is a different way of putting it. You want to escape from the bad bet. You do it through the gospel. 
You do it through knowing the very tremendously, maximally magnificent promises of Jesus. And then directing your identity to the ultimate destiny of shalom holiness. Okay? And um, let's, let me read this passage, this next part, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll go to part three of my message. What does it look like? What does it look like when you set your direction in that way? So you're like, okay, want holiness. <laughs> it says be holy. You should want it. Okay, so let me just, this, is, this passage is what it looks like. See, you know, every, all of you, if you have an identity, you know you have to go pursue it. As soon as you have an identity, it sets you on a direction. It sets you on a pathway. So you're sitting there going like, Hey, you're going to be the greatest basketball player that ever lived. And then you're going to sit in your room? No, you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to dribble, 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 dribble. You're going to pass, pass, you're going to watch, and you're going to study. And then you're going to do it again, and then you're going to do it again, and you're going to do it again. It sets you on a pathway for something beautiful. But here's the way this passage puts it. If you want the bet on God's identity in Shalom, here's what it puts it. So verse 5. For this very reason, all this is given to you. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. That's what it looks like. So, let's just say, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So some of you are like, I have faith. How come my life isn't turning out that way? Because, well, you don't care about virtue. So you can have faith, but I guess God, it's by grace. And by grace, a lot of people think grace means by laziness. I don't really understand why a lot of people think salvation by grace means by laziness. It never says that in the Bible. It's, this is really confusing to a lot of people. Salvation is wholly by grace. You never earned any of it. You never will earn any of it. Okay? But it's never by laziness. It's lazy by laziness or passivity or by excuses or anything of that stuff. Instead, like everything else that's wonderful and beautiful in life, you know what? It says you're a human being. You're not a hamster. You're not an animal. You're not a chemical you have a heart, you have a will, you have a mind to seek that which is beautiful, go run toward it. And you know what, where it looks like? You run first toward virtue. And then from virtue, you're like, okay, I'm not really good at virtue. Okay, well, toward virtue. Then you go toward knowledge. There's lots of Christians who have like some virtue, and then they like growing in knowledge, and then they stop. Some Christians think, like, I have a lot of Bible knowledge. I have a lot of church knowledge. And now they think they're a good Christian. They have faith. They have a few virtues. And then they have a lot of knowledge. And then they stop, but they have no self-control. They can't say bad. They have no self-control about, you know, their lusts or about their tongue, about the way they handle money. They, they, there's all, all kinds of problems there. And you know what that is? So what you see is a person who's got faith, they have some knowledge, maybe a few virtues, but they're far from holiness. How about this? So with that, you get self-control. And then steadfastness. Let's say a little something about steadfastness. Um, 
all throughout as a younger man, I, I wanted Jesus, and I wanted more of Jesus. You know what I thought? I was like, okay, I'll get knowledge, because, you know, I'm a nerd, and I like knowledge, okay? And I had some virtues, but not others. Some self-control, but not others. But you know what I often found out? I, I, I wanted to quit. I'd fall down. And somewhere in my 30s, I realized I don't have this. I don't have steadfastness. And you know how I started to at least kind of becoming more steadfast? By wanting it. <laughs> By wanting it. So for a lot of, a lot of Christians today, what I realize is there's no even want of, you don't desire steadfastness. So if you don't desire steadfastness, surprise, you're not good at it. And so a lot of Christians today, I realize they have very little staying power, perseverance, steadfastness, and yet here it is. If you don't have it, it says actually you'll be unfruitful and, you're not gonna, and, you're not, and, you're, and your life isn't going to turn out so wonderful. It's absolutely true. So, but then it keeps, the list keeps going. But then there's godliness, and then there's brotherly affection, and then there's love. Now I want to just stop for a moment here now before I go to close my message. Wow, Pastor. I, I like coming to this church because you're always telling us that salvation is by grace. And then, and then I come to church and I hear that message and then I stop beating myself up for trying and then, or, and then for failing. And then it's really nice to hear that message. And then I'll kind of muddle through the week and then I'll, I'll come back next week or two weeks or maybe three weeks or a month later and hopefully I'll get to hear that message again, which you need to hear again. But let me tell you, between the times you hear this message of grace, you need the grace to want your bigger self. You need the grace to want more than what you already want. You need the grace to want what God wants for you. You need the grace to want your identity, which he wants to take into a glorious direction, far bigger, higher, unbelievably more than you ever thought you would be or could be. That's what God wants for you. That's the grace. And when you begin to just even take some steps, even though you're terrible at it, you're terrible at it. You know what the, what the Father in heaven is like? It's like the kid. <laughs> I still remember the, I, I remember it's like yesterday. My son, he, he was really well coordinated. I was like, oh man, he could be a baseball player. <laughs> when he, was, he was seven months old, right? And, and I was like, yes, he's so coordinated. And then he became this champion crawler. And I was like, oh, he's going to walk in like a month from now. And then he did it. <laughs> and then he did it. Didn't walk at all. And then somehow at 11 and a half months old, he like got up on his feet. <laughs> and he took a step. He took three steps. And then he fell down. That was a really exciting day. <laughs> that was a really exciting day. If an earthly poor father like me gets joy from his son taking three steps and falling down how much more wonderful is it for an infinitely loving father to watch you take three steps and fall down that's grace that's what it looks like that's what grace looks like okay so all these things that the bible is calling for you 
It's not because God wants to put like this long checklist to-do list. What he wants to do is turn you into something so unbelievably beautiful, you can't, you're always underestimating it. What you want for your life is built on its corrupt desires. The identity from the world is so, okay, I mean, how do I be mean? I don't want to be mean about this, but I have to be mean about this. It sucks. It's pathetic. You think it's so great, you want to be a great businessman, or even like, I just want to have like the perfect love life. But if it's apart from Christ, it's too little. It's too little for what God wants to give you. See, this is what grace looks like. Let me close this, my, um, my message about this, um, the drama of the good in you. I want to give you a quote. Um, last week, I, um, I gave you this strange illustration from um, this, this uh, uh, well, I'm not famous, it's the semi-famous book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And in that book, these wispy, almost nothing souls, because that's what an identity that isn't in Christ looks like. It's like it's airy and it's light and it's wispy and the world will blow you. And then when the world blows you in this direction, since you have no weight, no foundation that's worth anything, you can just blow it off and then the world can push you around and say, hey, you need to be this way. You're not woke enough or you're not smart enough or you're not pretty enough. And then you're like, okay, I'm not pretty enough. So then, you know, you like really work hard to make yourself pretty because your identity is built on that. So, all these wispy souls in heaven who have no weight, they take this bus trip to heaven, uh, to, to heaven and they meet people that have weight. Because they have a foundation which cannot be shaken. And you know, this is a strange thing. Jesus gives you that foundation, but he doesn't build it. He doesn't just give it to you like, here's a cookie. You know, like your mom just gives you a cookie, she just gives you a cookie. You know what he does? He builds it together with you. He builds it together with you. And I want to give you a quote. There's this, um, so uh, the, the guy who's kind of getting the tour, <laughs> he gets taught this. So let me, let, me, let me say this to you, and then I want to say some concluding words, so I'll get to close my message. No natural feelings are high or low, holy or unholy, in themselves. So let me say that. No natural feelings are high or low, holy or unholy in themselves. So you want a big, good career. Okay, well, that's fine. Okay, but it's not holy or unholy in and of itself. Okay? They're all holy when God's hand is on the rain. They're all holy when God's hand is on the rain. But they all go bad when they set up on their own and make themselves into false gods. They are all holy when God's hand is on the rain. They all go bad when they set up on their own and make themselves into false gods. So, let's go this way. So you want to, you know, why would anybody, like, you know, it, it sounds really weird. If you're a legalistic kind of person, you're like, Okay, just you, so there's some people who just think Christianity is just about making you a religious person. No, 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 no. And that Christianity is like is like some kind of like killjoy against all the good things that other people want. Like I want a good career or I want a good love life or something like this. No, Christianity 
would love, the Lord wants you to have a great career. He wants you to have a good love life, and then he kind of even tells you how you can get there. But the real problem is if you decide that that's going to be the foundation of who you are, it's going to kind of bite you. It's going to go bad. Let me tell you how just this is what this world is like. Anything that you naturally desire and you think it's good, if it doesn't have holiness in it, it's going to rot. It's going to fade. It's going to get corrupted and they'll die. That's the way it is. So if you think this is one thing in my life, this is the good thing, everything else, whatever, and I'm just going to just fixate on this. I'm like, okay, it'll be like, I'm just going to be a good father, and I'll let, I'll let my career go. Or, you know, my career, but like, I don't, okay, whatever, my friends, I can let, whatever it is, even the good thing that you think you're going to like put down on, it's going to get corrupted and rot. But if you put your whole self in the one who came to take on every corruption. And he came into this world, every corruption, every passion, every evil desire, even death itself, he took them on so that on the cross he would kill the corruption. He would kill the death. He would make all those passions die. If you put yourself in him and pursue what he has for you, holiness, then now everything that is in all the parts that are in you, so your ethnicity, your career, your, your, your marriage, your, your friendships, all these things, so now you're going to produce, you're going to seek virtue, steadfastness, self-control, knowledge, faith, in all those realms. As you do that, in all those realms, and you do it believing that Jesus is going to walk with you and put his resurrection power in you, what you're going to do is you're going to claim each and one of those things and make it holy. So let me just close this message this way. I told you this story when I was 16 years old. Um, I wasn't sure if I was Korean or if I was American. I came to this epiphany that it doesn't matter. The fact is, I am Korean, and I am American, and both are good. And both are bad. They all, the Koreanness can be corrupted, and if I want it more, I can corrupt it with the way I want it. And the Americanness is good, but there's some bad parts in it, and I can corrupt it the way I want it. I realized the real key was not how Korean I was or how American I was or even the way I wanted it. The real key was Christ. That was the real key. That if I belong to Jesus, he will say, give me yourself and I'll give you a better kind of Koreanness. Give me yourself and I'll give you a better kind of Americanness. Give me yourself and I'll just give you a better self. And then when you go out to the world, which is strange, then you will gift other people, hopefully, something more like an imperishable, better version of all these things. So that's what this church is trying to do. Help you be a better businessman, 
a more holy businessman. Make you be a more holy friend. Make you a more holy wife. And make you a more holy husband. A holy citizen. A holy self. Which could never die or be corrupted. Do you want that? Do you want that? So don't think, oh, this is exhausting. This is tiring. I can't do this. No, actually, I hope you want it. And it could be yours. It is yours, but you still got to go and go want it. Yes? It's yours by grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so filled with our worldly influences and desires. And I don't know, Lord, if I'm a good enough pastor or preacher, but I'm so glad I don't necessarily have to be because you give us that is your power. It is by your power that we gain these great, maximally magnificent promises. And no matter what the world says or even what our own hearts say, will we believe your word? Would you believe your great promises? We trust by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will wash us. You'll give us victory. You'll give us a joy. You'll give us a virtue. You'll give us a self-control. You'll give us a steadfastness bigger and more than we ever thought was even possible. And then... All those around us would just look at you like, I can't believe you. This is, you're this person. Or the way we shape and bless other people around us. I pray, Lord, that that is what we pursue. And this great, beautiful identity that is ours in Jesus would you give us. Help us to trust in it, desire it, pursue it with great love and determination and steadfastness. We pray this in Jesus' name.